Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is the RN Sunday for Sunday, September 4th, 2022. We hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. We've got members of the media, academia, and financial services standing by as we analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax. Enjoy this episode of the RN Sunday. Well, the same off the show with a look at technology consumer products in a lot more joining us online you know him as the managing editor of the street mr daniel klein dan so great to see you thanks so much for well i can't see you so great to hear you thanks so much for stopping by the program this morning good morning jeff i assume you have a picture of me up somewhere in the room so you could be looking i at do me. i have a big cutout cardboard picture of you actually <laughs> uh a life-size dan klein with the flowing hair all right dan um this is interesting, kind of piggybacks on, I think, what we talked about last week or the week prior. Let's talk a little bit about satellite and satellite connectivity because two stories that crossed your desk and hence crossed mine, um, I think some cruise lines are configuring their system, their services to, to connect to the satellites. And also Apple yeah. Watch Pro, the new, the new Apple Watch, um, might have some satellite connectivity. So what's, what are the developments there? Yeah, so we're entering an era we've sort of talked about for a really long time. And it's this world where satellite connectivity kind of puts the Internet everywhere. There, there were Facebook projects. There were Google projects on this. There were, there were balloons. There were all sorts of different things designed to bring us, you know, connectivity everywhere. But we're really getting it. Uh, and at the forefront of this is Elon Musk's Starlink, um, you know, a, a SpaceX brand. And basically what this company did, and they're not unique, there's a Jeff Bezos company doing the same thing, is they threw thousands, maybe eventually tens of thousands, of satellites into the air, and that's going to cause other problems down the line. But for now, let's focus on the positive. And that essentially allows Internet connectivity on a pretty high level just about everywhere. So who does this benefit? Uh, my family owns a home in somewhat rural New Hampshire, and we have very expensive satellite Internet that's very slow. You can barely watch a Netflix movie. Um, you know, you can do a Zoom call, but it's not great. For people in parts of the country like Jackery, New Hampshire, that aren't particularly well-wired, this is a viable, affordable Internet solution that's going to improve their Internet. But also, for countries right now in the Ukraine, where obviously there are reasons their internet service has been shut off, mm. uh, people can use Starlink Internet to, to keep in touch with the world. It, satellites don't discriminate based on what's happening where you are. So you're able, if you can point at the sky, you can get internet connection. In my world, uh, the interesting piece of this is Royal Caribbean, the cruise line, which, which I travel on a lot, uh, has decided they're going to put Starlink on all of their ships, on, on Royal Caribbean, on, on Celebrity, and on Silver Sea, three lines that they own. What does this mean? Well, when I take a cruise and I work, the Internet is barely serviceable in the best of cases. You know, I can maybe access the text I need to. I can do a phone call, but a video meeting is difficult. And, okay, the average person isn't going on a cruise to work. But maybe their kid's at home. Maybe sick mom or dad is at home. Maybe there's one work thing they need to do during the week. 
in order to be able to go away and they need to zoom into a meeting. That's been very difficult, and now that will be possible. So when you go on a cruise, you'll be able to opt to disconnect like a small percentage of people do, but you'll also be able to opt to have your social media and watch your YouTube videos in a down moment or, or you know, download that book you're going to read at the pool or the Netflix video. It sounds like a small thing, but most people don't actually want to be out of contact whether that's for work reasons or personal reasons, or you just don't feel comfortable with it, this is going to change that and make sort of being in a cruise a lot more like being at like a Vegas hotel where like (laughs) the internet's not fabulous, but it does everything you need it to do. So it's a game changer, but that's a minor part of what this technology does, allowing everyone pretty much everywhere to have the internet. This will mean a lot eventually in less fully developed countries that don't have the infrastructure the U.S. has, where the Internet is largely phone-driven and has basically been 2G or, or very limited connectivity, this is going to change that, and it's going to democratize the world uh, in, in ways we can't even imagine yet. Dan, I think I read somewhere that Mount Everest, they had Internet connectivity, which I think is pretty interesting. And I read another story where... I don't know, someone was climbing a mountain or doing something. It wasn't Everest and it wasn't like Kilimanjaro or something like that. And they ordered carryout food, for like DoorDash or something, and it was delivered. Uh, did you hear that story? And I'm the, as you're talking about this and you're, you know, I'm going to take it to the 100th degree, uh, you know, the extremes. And I'm thinking like, oh, well, that wouldn't be great. You can get one of the Sherpas to bring up uh, McDonald's up the mountain uh, at, at, in, on Everest. It feels like an extreme use of it. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, this this Domino's pizza is pretty good, and three people died getting it to yeah, me. Yeah, right? I, I agree with you on that. Jeff, that goes back to, uh, you're a New Yorker. Uh, there used to be a company called Sleepies. They, they, they ran ads all the time for mattresses. Yep. And being the jerk that I was in my, my 20s, they used to run commercials saying that they would deliver you a bed in 24 hours, no matter what the circumstances. So I needed a bed and, of course, waited till a blizzard to place the order for the bed to prove that, of course, their commercial was not 100% accurate and they would not always bring you a bed within 24 hours. I do think we need to consider some of the negatives of this technology that, you know, hey, it's really cool that you could send a text message when you're, when you're at the Super Bowl, but maybe when you're at the Super Bowl or, or seeing, I don't know, you know, the Foo Fighters play in a stadium or Springsteen or whoever it is, maybe your eyes should be on what's happening and not on your phone. So we do need to be a little bit vigilant about how having this connectivity can take us away from our world. As I mentioned, I'll work on a cruise ship, and this will make that better. But when I'm enjoying myself and not working, I try to make sure my phone is not in my hand. And, and I might communicate to my team, hey, I'll check in in 90 minutes, uh, and I'll go you know, stick my phone in my flip-flop or whatever and go check it later. But I do think we have to be pretty vigilant as we get better connectivity about remembering to live at least a little bit in the moment and where we are. Dan, just to kind of turn to some seriousness uh, about this, I, I do I do have a question. I mean, in terms of uh, serviceability, how do you service satellites? Uh, we don't have the space shuttle anymore, at least to my knowledge we don't. Uh, right now our astronauts are or were taking a Soyuz up, to, which is a Russian-made uh, rocket or, or capsule up to the International Space Station. So let's just say hypothetically, uh, you you remember when the Hubble didn't work? It was it was nearsighted, I think, and it couldn't see out into the 
you know, couldn't see those great galaxies that were out there that no one could even anticipate. How would you service all of these satellites? I'm just trying to think this through. No, you don't. They're disposable. Are they disposable? So, okay. Yeah. The, the bigger problem here is how do you clean up the space junk? That That's going to be, let's call it 2030, probably one of the bigger industries is what, what, what space net are we using? Because two satellites crashing into each other, there could be pretty catastrophic mm-hmm. consequences for manned space travel, which is becoming easier if we have all these satellites floating around because you don't want to bump into something in space. That does not go well. But these satellites are a volume game. They're meant to have expiration dates. They're, they're meant to, to cover for, yep, this one got hit by a, you know, a piece of an asteroid. It went, it went out. Um, none of that. There, there's not going to be you know, space repairmen going up there <laughs> fixing it. Okay. Um, as, as cool as that job seems. This, these aren't unique assets like the Hubble. These are essentially mass-produced technology that's not that complicated I mean, relatively not that complicated compared to, say, the Hubble telescope. Or the Webb, uh, James Webb te- te- telescope, which is amazing, by the way. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. That, that we're shooting you know, thousands of these into space. By privatizing the ability to deliver things to space, we aren't dependent on NASA, and we do have multiple companies that can deliver payloads to space. And as silly as this sounds, that's gone from being something that costs billions of dollars to something that costs maybe even only tens of millions of dollars uh, depending what you're sending. So we are kind of at an inflection point on getting things into space, uh, and that is definitely going to make things easier as we build out this type of technology. All right, Dan, let's shift gears to the terrestrial, our, our Earth, a terrestrial conversation. Let's talk about um, privacy um, and technology, but how do kids – kids are going back to school. They went back to school here in North Carolina uh, this week. Um they're going back in other parts of the country. How do we keep our kids safe using technology? Because not all four-year-olds, Dan, have an iPhone 14 or 13 or 12 or an iPhone. So how do we keep these yeah. kids safe from predators um, and also people who misuse technology? So obviously you should be monitoring what your kids do on any technology. Schools, in theory, have software that does that. My son had, you know, tablets when he was in school at that age, and there were definitely things you couldn't access on the tablet. But as a parent, I think it's more about the illusion of safety than actual safety. So if you outfit your third grader with a smartwatch, um, because a third grader is probably not even allowed to have a phone in school, well, you can turn tracking, you can know where your kid is, you can enable a couple of button pushes where if your kid's in trouble, they could, they could send you, you know, some, some predetermined notes and you can limit who they can communicate to. Um, but the reality is the situations we've had in schools with kids in danger probably aren't going to be fixed by kids having technology. Now, as a parent, if your kid has a watch on, do you know if you're like eighth grader skip school for the day? Yeah, I guess you do. Uh, and then you forgot there was a field trip and your kid didn't actually skip school. Um, but I like being able to track where my son is. Uh, I can pull up, and it was one of my conditions of me paying for his phone, I can pull up where his location on my phone, and if he's not where he said he was going to be, I can call him and ask the question. Hey, you're supposed to be at school. Why are you eight miles away? 
well, I'm on a video project and I'll, I'll shoot you a photo of, you know, the video team working on something. Okay, that's a good answer. Or if the answer is, uh, I don't know, like, well, then you know your kid is doing something wrong. But if something terrible happens at a school, I'm not sure a bunch of kids having watches is going to fix it. No. So could we put it surveillance equipment? Um, there's lots of things we could do. And there's some political things we're absolutely not touching on in this conversation. Um, but technology is an aid. It's not a solution. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting, again, uh, just kind of piggybacking on the first part of our segment, the satellite technology and this new Apple Watch, and you make the point about, okay, you don't give a four-year-old um, uh, an iPhone because that probably wouldn't be appropriate. They can play with it, but they don't know. You know, there's a lot of danger there, but maybe a some type of wearable uh, that they can be tracked. Um, of course, you know, that's, as you pointed out, that's a lot of it challenges too because someone could take off the wearable i mean are are we going to get to a point dan where they're going to inject like i do with my two cats who i'm looking at right now lovingly that are laying on the floor next to me they have a chip in them i mean uh, you don't foresee that where we put we put a chip uh in in our kids up until 18 and then it dissolves yeah i i don't think it's so crazy actually because the, the re- look that gets into all sorts of weird like custody issues and and other problems when when parents don't get along. But I do think as a parent, we have, like, I mean, you remember, Jeff, you and I would come home from school and maybe I'd leave, like, my mom a note, Mm -hmm. like, go in a so-and-so. Or maybe I wouldn't even come home from school. And I don't think there was really an expectation that I came home until it was, like, dark. Mm -hmm. That's a different world than what we live in now. Like, if my son had to stay late from school and was skipping his bus. One, I'd have to pick him up, so he'd have to communicate that to me. My son is no longer at school. He graduated this year. Congratulations. Um, you know, one of the issues my son has now, and, it, you know, it's, it's a, I don't want to say a failure of technology, but my, my son works for a, for a popular, fast, casual Mexican chain, and there's no Internet connectivity in the store. So if his shift changes and he needs to stay later or leave earlier, he has to walk a couple of stores over so he can text me. And that sounds like a little thing, but that's the kind of thing where we talked earlier about, about satellites. Yeah. Well, satellites may soon integrate into Apple Watch. So would it make sense for my son, who, who has plenty of money because he's worked full-time as an 18-year-old and lives in my house, to spend six or $700 on an Apple Watch because then he could type in some, you know, some predetermined messages saying, hey, I, I'm ready to go, can you get me soon, or staying staying late, pick me up later, like whatever it is, that would be a, a problem solver in his situation. I'm hoping uh, the restaurant solves that by putting in Wi-Fi, but that, that doesn't seem to be imminent. So there's a lot of little things that technology can fix. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of places where, like, you know, I had to text a bunch of people yesterday and slack a bunch of people and just say, hey, I, I know where I'm going to be between six and seven doesn't have internet service. So I'm, I'm just not, I'm just going to be a void. And I'm someone who normally communicates like pretty regularly. And if I had a watch that had satellite connectivity, I could tell my, my second in command or the people on my team, Hey, if there's something really important, text me, you know, code red and I'll go, I'll go find internet connectivity and get in touch with you. Like, look, I remember the days, Jeff, when I had a beeper and had to pull off and find a hotel, you know, to, to call into the office. So we've obviously made a lot of progress, but we're seeing uses for this. There are a lot of benefits of people being in touch. It, it is 
a lot easier given how much I travel to pretty much be able to talk to my wife wherever I happen to be in the world, which would have been really difficult even like five or six years ago. So we're seeing a lot of progress. We just need to guard against some of the misuse of it. Yep, absolutely. Well, Dan, we're going to have to leave it there. I want to wish you a wonderful Labor Day, and we will pick up the conversation with you next week, my friend. Take care. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you later, Jeff. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome back. And we're going to close out the show with a look at what is happening on Capitol Hill and around the country when it comes to legislation, regulation, litigation around retirement savings and a lot more. Joining us on the line to help break it down, and they're doing this on their Labor Day weekend, all of our guests are, David Levine, Kevin Walsh. You know them as uh, the legal eagles, but they're also principals with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Kevin, David, thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Yes, thanks for having us on, and thanks, listeners. We're all having a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Uh, you know, as as Labor Day weekend closes, the weather starts to cool, and and folks start you know dreaming of warmer climes. So I think the uh, there was a song at one point, "California Dreaming," which may be topical for today's topic. <laughs> David, that's a perfect segue to you. Uh, Mamas and the Papas is a, are the uh, original originators of that great song. I still have that on an album somewhere. But what do you say, Dave? You know, you know. Oddly, maybe I started thinking Beach Boys and Katy Perry at the exact same time. So I'm not sure what to say to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, different generations, different eras. What can we say? Absolutely. Um, so, the news in, in, out of California is ex, is extending Cal, Cal Savers down to employers with one employee. This would further expand CalSavers' potential coverage by pick up, picking up potentially another three-quarters of a million potential people to participate in CalSavers, which has been ramping up uh, its number of people in the plan. Already, p- employers uh, with fewer than five, with, with, with like 10-plus employees and more mm-hmm. have been sort of in this process, but, it's gonna, but fewer than five employer employees will be required to register at I believe it is under the bill after December 31st of 25. So it really is going to expand the population, especially given that there's a lot of discussion out there about, you know, small, small business, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you always hear everybody's talking about the need to address small business. And this is legislation that from its supporters uh, that, that is designed to cover the small of the small business. It is consistent also with the ongoing trend we've seen where more and more states have been putting in their own auto IRA programs or similar solutions to allow employers to basically put aside money on an IRA in an IRA for their employees. There's a lot of this that was sort of out there with uh, Chairman Neal on the House side of the of the world where they were talking about creating a, lest I say it, mandate for certain for certain establishment of 401k plans earlier in this congressional term that hasn't jumped forward at this point uh, there's there's a lot there's secure to point no, there's a lot out there the key takeaway at this point underneath it all is that we continue to see efforts to try to cover more and more populations uh, and more people who right now may not be in a 401k plan but that will pivot us into where we head to in the fall, and that's Secure 2.0. Secure 2.0 is, is, may not be on the top of every news cycle right now like it was earlier in this year, at least in our benefits world, but it's still there. 
It's certainly not top of news cycle, we know, for everybody. And Secure 2.0 is still working its way through. There is the idea of coming up with something that both the House and the Senate basically have agreed to informally, so it gets passed out of the Senate maybe once it's fully baked. The House signs on, and it gets sent to the president for signature. The timing, remember, Congress is going to be in but occasionally, but they're out a lot. It's election season. So it could be that Secure 2.0 really returns to the fore after the election in the so-called lame duck session, after the elections, but before the new Congress is sworn in in January. And we'll see if, if Secure 2.0 passes then or not. The reality for those of us who sat through it before, and we've said this before, Secured 1.0 took a long time, so there's a chance it could be later this year, but we don't want to overly set expectations that it will pass this year. Kevin, I teed it up in a framework, and, or Jeff, you may have something to add. Well, before Kevin, I mean, you, ju- you jump in first, Kev. I was going to say, David, I, I feel like you've now hit on two topics today that really highlight what, what seems to be one of the focuses both in, in the states and on Federal Hill, which is, you know, closing the coverage gaps, whether it's small employers, whether it's, you know, different approaches to it. And, and I think we're going to have to have a wait and see approach. And thank you for that, Kevin. Uh, gentlemen, I think there are, what, 11 to th- or 13 of these state-run plans. Would, California, obviously, is the biggest state in the union. Um, would you expect other states to, as they're ramping up, like Oregon's another one, where they might take a look and see, think about expanding um, the um, offering to you know, single-person family businesses, you know, people like me who are who are, you know work for themselves. Uh, is that something that you could see you could see in the offing, in addition to what we're talking about with Secure and some of the other initiatives going on in the Congress and the Senate? So I'll, I'll jump in here. I mean, I, I think that one thing that we're going to increasingly see, both in the state and the federal level, is attempts to you know get more individuals covered, and, and you know, as David highlighted. Uh, one of the ways to increase coverage is to get plans at smaller and smaller employers. And, you know, as, as the, as that, you know, there's a limit that, that, you know, one employer is probably, one employee is probably as small as an employer can get. Um, but I, I mean, it, it seems like we're trending in that direction. Whether we get there tomorrow or whether we get there in a few years, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. David, you want to weigh in on this or? No, uh, uh, to sound like uh, James Carville in the movie Old School, I'm just like bouncing all over with references today. That was perfect. Yeah, that was great. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for stopping by. Really appreciate you doing this on a Labor Day weekend. Really want to wish you a great rest of the weekend and enjoy your Labor Day with your friends and family. We'll talk to you very soon. Th- thank you, Jeff. Thanks, and thank Jeff. you, listeners. Thanks, listeners. This is always fun. Thanks, boys. Take care. Bye-bye. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, entertainment, so much more, and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, well, visit our website. That's www.broadcastretirementnetwork.com. Our podcast and streaming partners. We're not back again tomorrow. It's Labor Day, but we're back again on Tuesday with a great guest and some great topics. So until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.